Welcome to Reclaiming the Faith with Phil Baker, a podcast with a mission to reveal what the earliest Christians believed about the core issues facing us today. You can find links to all of Phil's resources at philsbaker.com. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen today. Take a moment to share this podcast with your friends. Now, here's Phil. Welcome to episode 155 of Reclaiming the Faith. Today, my wife and I look at Paul's remedy for anxiety in Philippians chapter four, verses one through nine. I'm blessed to be a part of Omega Frequency, and you're going to be able to hear a new Ready With An Answer episode uh, very soon. In the uh, first part of June, we're going to be recording it. So please be on the lookout for that on the Omega Frequency podcast and the Omega Frequency YouTube and Rumble channels. So please go check that out. All right, well, without any further ado, let's get into episode 155. I just wanted to read something from Timothy 4 and then read a quote from uh, Justin Martyr. All right, to kind of set the stage for for what we're doing tonight and why we're going to do it a certain way. So 1 Timothy 4, verse 1 and verse 13, Paul writes this to his, his young disciple. The Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. And then jumping to verse 13, so until I come, give attention to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. You know, um, my words, unless they're, you know, unless I'm speaking what God wants me to say, my words, you know, do not carry a minuscule of the weight that, um, that God's do. And I'm sure y'all want more of God's words and less of mine. And so tonight we're going to try to do more of what Justin Martyr writes about when he describes the early church services, which is giving attention to the public reading of scripture and not just like one verse. Let me read y'all a quote. So Justin writes, on the day that we call Sunday, There is a gathering together in the same place of all who live in a given city or rural district. The memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits. Then when the reader ceases, the president, the one presiding over it, in a discourse admonishes and urges the imitation of these good things. So one of the things that you see in the early church is uh, a lot of time devoted to the scriptures, to reading the scriptures, and little time devoted to sermonizing. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's what we're going to try to do. That's what we try to do just in general. And um, so we're going to read a lot of scripture and talk a little bit about it, just exhorting us to live like those as we go along. Stephanie, why don't you read for them Philippians 4, verses 1 through 9. All right. 
Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche mm. to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask all I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement, also and the rest of my of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard in me and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. All right, let's dive in. Again, remembering that Paul is in house arrest in Rome for the cause of the gospel. He doesn't know if he's going to live or die. He's prepared for either one. If he lives, he's going to live for the Lord. If he dies, he's going to die for the Lord. But that's his situation. All right. So he says, therefore, my beloved brethren, this is verse one, whom I long to see my joy and my crown in this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. You know, that word beloved is agapetas, which um, means someone who is loved by God with God's love, basically. They are cherished by God because of what God has done for them, adopting them, you know, into his family, basically. They're loved with that, that uh, love of God. Just mm -hmm. an incredible term that we can really hold on to. Uh, he calls them his joy and his crown. These, it's like his reward, you know, is just an incredible that, that these people are part of the faith as well. These brothers and sisters, he has uh, been used by God to help bring them into God's family. This is just so important. They are so important to Paul. And that's why he talks in chapter one about he is Every time he thinks of them, he's praying for them in view of their participation in the gospel until now. He, he remembers, he prays for them with tears. You know, he's just, he loves these people with the love of Christ Jesus. And, you know, I want to get there too. I want to love people like that. I don't, but I should, and I want to, um, to really see, uh, see others with the eyes of Christ. But he says, in this way, stand firm in the Lord. Uh, you can think about two armies coming up against each other and an army hitting another army, you know, really trying to press in close combat kind of stuff. And you're standing your ground. And he says, in this way, stand firm. Well, in what way? In what way? Well, you got to go back. You know, there are no chapters in the, and there are no verses in the original Greek autographs. I mean, it's just, there, there are no 
lowercase letters, like everything is capitalized, basically. So, you know, it's, it's, it's us who have put in these breaks based on context, you know, and careful study. But in what way stand firm? Well, in verse 20 and 21 of chapter 3, Paul says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to subject all things to himself. All right, but Paul is saying we stand firm by one remembering that our citizenship, our home is in heaven. I mean, we are are citizens of heaven with Christ Jesus. That's who we're called to represent. That's how we're called to represent him with his values. Just like we talked about in the last live stream, going through the Sermon on the Mount, these attitudes of, of a citizen of heaven, this mindset, this heavenly citizenship, um, and reflecting him who came down from heaven with that humble attitude, uh, Christ Jesus, right? Taking on the uh, the role, the form, the the um, role of a servant, right? That's actually how we fight. That's how we stand firm. And that's how we fight uh, in our struggle for the gospel, to advance the gospel. And we don't fight with worldly weapons. We fight with heavenly ones, which are divinely powerful to demolish strongholds, right? And we remember too, like Paul saying in chapter three, that Jesus is coming back and He's going to resurrect us and transform these bodies. So you may, you know, like Polycarp, be burned alive and your body just destroyed here on earth. You may, like Ignatius of Antioch, be lip ripped limb from limb and crushed and eaten by lions. Um, but none of that is going to matter because you're going to, in, in one sense, it does matter um, that you're standing firm for him. In another sense, what happened to you here, the way you died, if you're dying for Christ in Christ, um, you're going to be resurrected. If you're in the Lord, you're going to get a resurrected body that's going to look like his. And that's just incredible. Uh, so stand firm in your heavenly citizenship in Jesus's return, in the resurrection, and in our transformation. Really hold on to that stuff. That really matters. And speaking of the values of, of heaven, uh, like the Sermon on the Mount, verse 2 of chapter 4, Paul says, I urge Euodia and Syntyche to, Syntyche to, to live in harmony in the Lord. That word harmony comes up in uh, chapter two, and it's you're thinking Paul is calling the people to think like Jesus, to have the same mindset as, of Jesus. Uh, Steph, you want to read this? I know I got you reading a lot of stuff, but this is Philippians two one through eleven, and uh, where it says same mind and like attitude in this passage, that's that word harmony. Hmm. All right. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, 
make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. All right. So these two women, uh, Yodia and Syntyche, um, are, as you're going to see in the next verse, they are leading women in the church. Um, they are laboring hard for the gospel. Uh, and as we do that, um, there's going to be there's going to be conflict that arises in the body of Christ. Um, just like in even the healthiest of marriage, there's still going to be conflict. Uh, you got two people coming together to be one. Well, you also have lots of people in it as a church coming together to be one body as well. And there's just going to be conflict. And the fact that there's conflict shouldn't discourage uh, people from Christianity. In fact, the way that Christians handle conflict should be a beacon of light to the world. And he's urging them as we're having this conflict to have the same mind, to have the attitude of Christ Jesus, to be humble, to be putting others' interests above our own. So, yeah, let's keep going. Verse 3 is very interesting. He says, Indeed, true companion... I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Lots of little nuggets from this, um, from this passage that we'll highlight. First, it says, indeed, true companion. Who's this true companion? Well, we don't know. Why doesn't Paul just use their name? We don't know. Nobody really knows who this true companion is. Is the true companion like a reference for the church? Like he's saying, beloved, beloved brethren. Is he using it that way? Is he saying it of Epaphroditus? You know, he talked about Epaphroditus coming back to them, right? He's sent them Epaphroditus. Uh, and maybe he's, maybe he's given a little, hey, wink, wink, Epaphroditus, you know, my boy. Help these women out. Solve this stuff. Is he talking about Luke? Luke spent some time in Philippi, uh, not just with Paul, but when Paul was away in other places. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. He's probably not talking about Timothy. Timothy was heading up, uh, or one of the elders in Ephesus. Uh, so, But we, we don't know. We don't know. But whoever this person or collective group of people is, Paul is asking his, her, or uh, their help 
um, with the women who are sharing in the struggle, in the cause of the gospel, the struggle in the cause of the gospel. All right. Um, you see this idea of struggling for the gospel, participating in the gospel in chapter one. So, uh, Steph, if you and mine, we're going to read Philippians 1, verse 3 through 5. And then you're going to see that word struggle in the gospel or striving together for the faith of the gospel in verse 27. So you have the idea in verse 3 and in verse 27. But we're going to read 3, 1 through 4, sorry, 1, chapter 1, 3 Three through, through five, 5. and As well as 27 through 30. You're so you're so good. <laughs> Keep me on track, Steph. I couldn't do this without you. No chance. <laughs> all right, go ahead. Uh, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for, for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you uh, of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you, it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. What's standing out to you so far? Is there anything that's been grabbing you? On that particular passage? Yeah, or is anything that we've covered so far? Um, well, I really, I like that passage because... Um, I think a lot of times, you know, you worked in, in uh, vocational ministry, and by the fact that we were married, I— So did you. <laughs> I did, too. Yeah. yeah. I, I did not receive the paycheck paid. for it, but I did. <laughs> and and a lot of times in ministry, you invest a lot in people, and um, sometimes you, in, you know, just the world that we live in, people move away. You don't always know what happens with them down the road, or we did a lot of youth ministry, and the kids— went away afterward. And um, it was, it's always so encouraging when you hear that people are standing firm mm. and that they're um, united with Christ. And um, that, that's just like one of the, the, the biggest joys that you can have is that, you know, that even though, well, for one, the fact that they're growing in the Lord is not necessarily dependent on me. Um, and yeah. that's, that's encouraging. I just played a small part in that, and I'm just trying to be obedient in what God calls me to. Um, but I think it's it's super important to be able to to know that that God is still at work when we're not present with them. Yeah, like Paul says in uh, Corinthians, you know, I planted, Apollos watered, but God causes the the growth, right. the increase. Yeah. yeah. All right, uh, let's keep going. Still looking at verse three, remember, he's asking the true companion to help the women who have shared in, the, in his struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement. All right, so this Clement is the guy, most likely, almost certainly, according to the early Christians, he is the guy uh, that is called Clement of Rome. 
the Bishop of Rome at the end of the first century who writes uh, his epistle to the Corinthians. And if you haven't read it, I would really encourage you to read. It's sometimes called First Clement, but it's Clement of Rome to the Corinthians. And uh, you're going to see so much scripture in there. Evidently, what was going on in that letter is that there was kind of like, <laughs> as Paul wrote about, there was a lot of chaos in the church at Corinth still. Um, a lot of division, a lot of uh, stuff that should not be going on still happening at the church in Corinth. And it's what's really interesting about that letter to me, um, other than the stuff about the Phoenix, <laughs> is, um, is that it's not written from Clement. It is and it isn't. He's the bishop there at Rome, but he's not the one who addresses the letter. The letter is from the elders, basically, of the church at Corinth. So it's really interesting for me, for our Catholic friends out there, that this guy who's the Bishop of Rome, um, who Catholics would call the Pope, was not acting like what we think about as a Pope. This one, one bishop to rule them all kind of thing. That's not what was going on back then. In fact, one of the first times you see that word Pope is from Tertullian, and he's mocking this really corrupt Bishop of Rome, like he would be the Pope or something like that, basically. The Bishop of Rome was not the one bishop to rule them all. Uh, the Church at Rome had a lot of influence because it was such a prosperous and powerful uh, city, and so they were looked up to a lot. But really, you don't see the most famous and the most influential bishops come out of Rome. Though you do see people like, like I said, like Clement and like Hippolytus later on. But let me read you a quote from Irenaeus about Clement. Uh, he says, in the third place from the apostles, so he's talking about like Peter, one, two, and then Clement. Clement was allotted the place of bishop. Since he had seen the blessed apostles, he'd seen the apostles, and had been conversant with them, this man might be said to have the preaching of the apostles still echoing in his ears, and their traditions still before his eyes. Nor was he alone, for there were many others still remaining who had received instructions from the apostles. In the time of this Clement, no small dissension occurred among the brethren at Corinth. So the church in Rome dispatched a most powerful letter to the Corinthians, exhorting them to peace, renewing their faith, and declaring the tradition which it had lately received from the apostles. Again, that's really important. He's saying, Clement, this letter from Clement, the brethren in Rome, basically, this letter from Clement, uh, is passing down the tradition of the apostles, and it's not addressed from Clement, but from the elders in Rome. Pretty interesting stuff, right? Pretty good stuff. Uh, and also, Irenaeus, he was in uh, Gaul or uh, Lyon, so in the France area. All right, Irenaeus was a disciple of Polycarp, who was the uh, bishop of Smyrna in Asia Minor. Let's keep going. 
All right. Indeed, true companion, I ask you to help these women who shared in my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, it's interesting that he does this fellow worker thing because that's a call back to Epaphroditus. It's a direct call back to chapter two because he uses this verbiage about Epaphroditus. And that's one reason for me that I think this true companion thing, that's about Epaphroditus. Um, let me read that part from you for you from verse 25. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, okay, my fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick to the point of death. But God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly so that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. Now, keep listening. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete was what was deficient in your service for me. And so it's just my little theory. Paul is like setting the stage with Epaphroditus that he is his fellow worker, his brother, his fellow soldier, and this guy almost died for you, all right? So you need to really receive this man and hold him in high regard. Evidently, whoever's leading the church over at Philippi has not been able to straighten this mess out with Yodia and Syntyche. And so I think Paul is saying, I'm sending Epaphroditus. He's going to work this out. You guys listen to him. He's modeled for you having the attitude of Christ. And now he's going to ask you all to do the same. Just a theory. Continuing on verse four, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. All right. Verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. There's an exclamation mark. You got to say it. Rejoice. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Oh, and again, I say rejoice. <laughs> we both went to Sunday school as children. VBS. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So this word rejoice, if you remember, uh, has, has its root basically in charis, middle name of our daughter, which is grace. And it's, it's basically to be mindful of God's grace, to be aware of God's grace in a particular situation, right? And that's why we can praise him. That's why we can have an attitude of thanksgiving because God is causing all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, right? God is working, God's help, God's empowerment, um, God's kindness, his, uh, his grace. I mean, it's there. It's there all the time. And so we're called to rejoice always. Mm. Uh, you see this word always, uh, sorry, rejoice. Earlier in chapter three, when Paul gave his first finally, uh, in verse three, uh, sorry, chapter three, verse one, he says, You just what? said chari instead of sorry. Chari, chari, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I chad the wrong verse. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we're not. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. 
try these same same things again is no trouble to me, and it's a safeguard for you. So rejoicing is actually a safeguard for us. Um, and he says to do it always. Think about First Thessalonians five, starting in verse sixteen. Rejoice always. Rejoice always. This is First Thessalonians five sixteen. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully, like a Berean, holding fast to that which is good and abstaining from every form of evil. Uh, you know, that that uh, word quench has a picture in it in the Greek of think about a water hose, basically, uh, where you hold it together to prank somebody who's trying to water the flowers and they're like, what's going on? And then you loosen it and like they look at the water hose, right? And then you let it go and it shoots you in the face. Speaking from personal experience. Maybe. So uh, quenches like, you know, they're the flow. God's God's trying to, to flow through you basically, but we can quench that by not rejoicing always, by not praying without ceasing, by not giving thanks in all circumstances. All right, that's God's will for us. Go ahead. I was just going to say this rejoice in the Lord always makes me think of Job. Mm. And um, specifically Job 121, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. I just, I can't imagine being in that moment no. and having that kind of response. Maybe, maybe down the road a few years. Like, I just, I don't know. I mean, it's just understanding the heart of God and understanding mm. that we, nothing is ours. We literally have nothing. We came into this world alone and we're going to depart with nothing. Mm. And, um, but God is still good. Mm. And it, not just because of the things we have or the, you know, the things around us. Mm. So, yeah, that's good. That's real good. Um, Paul says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. That's verse five of chapter four. So four, I'll read four and five together. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all people. The Lord is near. Uh, this gentle is not the same word that you see in the fruit of the spirit, which is sometimes translated meekness in Galatians chapter five. All right, this is a little bit different than meekness. Um, this gentle is justice that goes beyond ordinary justice. All right, so it's, um, it's true equity that appropriately fulfills the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. So trying to give you a picture that you could think about. Um, think about John chapter 8. I know this isn't in the earliest manuscripts, but think about the woman caught in adultery. So letter of the law is to condemn her and the man who isn't brought forward by the, the uh, other Jewish men, but to condemn her, to put her to death, to stone her. But you have justice here going beyond that, right? But you see Jesus extending mercy. You could also think about the Good Samaritan, um, that, that idea of mercy and the way it corresponds with love. And you can think about, too, what James says 
about mercy and how important mercy is for us to display in chapter two, because mercy triumphs over judgment. Think about Matthew chapter five, right? Anyone forces you to go one mile, go two. And that was a Roman law. The Romans, the soldiers could force you to carry their equipment. You being, you know, a Jew, uh, they could force you to carry their equipment, but they can only do it for one mile. But Jesus says, go an extra mile. Now, why would he say that? It's really interesting. Would anyone want to carry somewhat, some soldier's equipment one mile? No chance. You got to stop what you're doing. You got a job to do. And they can say, stop what you're doing. Drop it right now. Carry my stuff. Uh, how insulting is that, right? They're dehumanizing you. They're treating you like an animal, really, like a beast of burden. That's how they're treating you. They are not seeing you as someone made in the image of God. And yet Jesus says, go a second mile with them. Now, immediately, when they've gone, when you've gone one mile, they're going to say, okay, you're free to go. And you say, that's okay. Let's keep going. They're going to look at you like you're crazy. They're not going to understand what you're doing. What have you automatically put into their mind? It's a question. The question is, why? Mm -hmm. Why are you doing that? And doesn't that open up an opportunity to share the gospel right there? To share with them who the king is, how the king of heaven displayed this principle, right? And it's such an awesome opportunity for us. The why, the why. Very similar thing about the image of God uh, going on with the whoever slaps you on one cheek, turn the other, but I'll leave that for another day, all right? So here's, uh, I'm just going to go forward because we got a lot to do. And uh, doing nine verses. Yeah. So let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Now, I think Paul here is quoting Psalm 34. All right. And I think he has all of Psalm 34 in his mind when he's writing Philippians 4, Psalm 34 when he's writing Philippians 4. So what I want to do is I'm going to read Philippians 4, 1 through 5, and then Stephanie's going to read Psalm 34, like the whole thing. And then I want you to think about how these two passages are similar. Thinking about the context of Philippians 4, what's been going on, we've been talking about it, and how Paul's calling them to approach this conflict um, that they see going on. All right. So here we go. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, 
together with Clement and also the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Here's Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces will never be ashamed. This this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For to those who fear him, there is no want. The young lions do do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. Who is the man who desires life and loves length of days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. So, yeah, I mean, I I really think there's a lot of that, not just in the verses we read in four here, but in some of the previous verses from three, and then also through the end, basically, of chapter four, as you're going to get into, we're going to get into the verse uh, 413 uh, next week. I think Paul's got Psalm 34 running all through his mind here. Very powerful psalm that has a prophecy about the Messiah. Not one of his bones will be broken, right? Um, For me to live as Christ. I mean, he's trying to take on that same mindset and attitude of Christ who exhibited what it looks like for us to fear the Lord and the blessings that come from all of that. All right. So think about all we just said in chapter 34 of Psalms, right? That's Psalm 34. And the Lord will is near, right? The Lord is near. And here is verse six of chapter four. So be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. All right. This word anxious is uh, merimnao. And it's um, it's kind of the opposite 
of peace, where you think of peace being wholeness, the God of peace will be with you as we're going to talk about soon. It's the opposite. This idea of anxious is like fragmented. Um, it's opposed to the whole. It's a part, not the whole. It's divided. Basically, being drawn in opposite directions. Maybe uh, you're a parent and you've got two kids trying to drag you in different directions. I mean, that's kind of the idea. You're divided. And um, being pulled into pieces, pulled apart. Kind of like, uh, I mean, think about people being like drawn by horses. One of the ways that people would be tortured mm -hmm. back in the day. You know, um, just horrible stuff. But um, that's kind of what happens when we worry. We, we're so pulled in all these different directions instead of being whole, uh, being at peace. So he says, um, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And so he's hitting on like four different types of four different like words for prayer here. All right. And one of them is prayer. That word prayer, um, prosuke, is uh, an exchange of wishes. And so you could think about this in one sense. If it's an exchange, then Jesus is talking to you. This is what's on my heart through the Holy Spirit, right? God the Father through the Holy Spirit um, saying, this is what's on my heart. And we, you know, request back to him or think about Jesus in the garden, request to God. If there's any way for this cup to be taken from me, you know, let it be done, but not my will, your will be done. And then you have the heavenly father basically saying, nope, there isn't any way mm. for them to be saved. There's this exchange going on. So talking, but are we taking time to listen, to think about God? I and mean, maybe that's through the word. However, God's going to speak to you in a way that you can understand. So not just that prayer, but he also says with supplication, and uh, this is like this heartfelt petition arising out of a deep personal need. And it could be for you or for someone else. Like you're just, please, please. You think about the, um, think about the, uh, the woman that from the, the Canaanite woman that's just imploring Jesus. I think this is in Matthew 17. Um, just imploring Jesus to uh, heal her daughter, right? And Jesus is like ignoring her and she keeps on and she's getting louder. And, you know, he says, you know, it's not right to give the children's food to dogs. And she's like, but even the dogs eat the crumbs. Right. And he's like, Oh woman, I, I haven't seen this kind of faith. You know, this is just incredible. Great is your faith. Right. Think about Bartimaeus. It's just a quintessential example of the first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for there's the kingdom of God. Poor in spirit being like a beggar, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Jesus comes comes to everyone, basically calling them to lose all for, for him. Mm -hmm. But what about someone who literally has nothing? You know, physical of this earth mm -hmm. to give. Well, you still have your pride. Yeah. You know, you still have your self-respect. And it seems like, Jesus is calling Bartimaeus, are you going to lose what you do have? Are you going to be able to lose? Are you willing to lose your self-respect? You're going to become undignified like David, right? And he does. And so he gets the kingdom. All right. Then you have Thanksgiving, prayer, supplication, and Thanksgiving. Um, 
this word has Eucharista in it. Like that's what the Lord's Supper is called um, by Paul, the Thanksgiving um, in First uh, Corinthians 11. I mean, this, this is what we're called to do. Thinking about, and it's something we can always be thankful for, right? The body and the blood of Christ. Um, hey, Tiffany, thanks so much for hanging out. All right, being thankful. And remember First uh, Thessalonians 5. Uh, be thankful in all things, right? Um, so with prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. A petition, a request. Uh, these are all kind of uh, different sides of the same thing, right? In verse four, uh, verse seven, if we do that, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, all understand, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So again, uh, you see the opposite of worry is, is this idea of peace, mm-hmm. where worry is like being fragmented, being split. Peace is this wholeness from God. And if we're really coming to him with our prayer and uh, petitions, uh, supplication rather, um, thanksgiving with our requests, we're really doing that and doing it like ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you will find knock in the door that's like ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. Um, And you'll find that's the way we need to approach these kinds of um, prayer. Don't just do it once. I mean, you just keep at it. Keep at it and keep at it like the uh, the woman in the parable from Luke 17, I think, uh, with the unrighteous judge. But um, that might be 18 too. I'm having trouble tonight. I'm sorry. Somewhere in the late teens. Uh, and the peace of God, which surpasses peace again, being wholeness. Think about Jesus uh, in John 14, 27 and 16, 33. You want to read those two? Yeah. All right. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Yeah, it's not the kind of peace that um, the world gives because that's almost like an absence of conflict. But this is not an absence of conflict so much as it is a presence of wholeness. Mm -hmm. Um, This real deep sense of an undivided heart for God, seeking first his kingdom and realizing that his kingdom is there in the midst of whatever you're going through. Um, So you have that gentle spirit being made known to to all people. Uh, A peace that surpasses all comprehension, um, surpasses understanding. That word now, or noose, sorry, noose, is the God-given capacity of each person to to think or to reason, uh, reflective thinking. So this is a piece that's going beyond reasoning. It's like most, most people would be freaking out in this situation, or me, normally, I would be freaking out in the situation. It, it only makes sense to freak out in this situation, and yet there's something in me that's got this confidence in God's goodness and a uh, an undivided desire 
that his will be done. Mm. Um, yeah, kind of a, a, like you're saying, Tina, a piece that makes no sense from a human perspective. Mm-hmm. From a normal human perspective, it makes no sense. Uh, have you ever been in a place like that, Steph, experiencing like a piece that wouldn't, shouldn't make sense? Yes. All right, let's keep going. <laughs> now, would you mind? Uh, uh, well, you know, you and I were kind of talking about this earlier, and um, I feel like with with your job over the years, we've had a couple of different times where, um, you know, we've basically had to walk away from an income stream and um, chosen to, or felt God leading yeah, us. Yeah, felt God leading us. Um, and we were, we made this step forward in that. And um, I didn't always love that. Like, I didn't think it was a fun thing to do. Um, but it was, became very clear in each situation or each time that God moved us, um, that this is what we needed to do. And um, yeah, we didn't, we didn't always have a lot of money saved up or anything like that. But um, we knew that that insecure or that that I don't know I can't put it into words, but yeah, it it was just there was this feeling of of peace that came over us when we would make this decision or whenever we you know would move forward with that that didn't make any sense. And um, when I would talk to friends about it that maybe weren't Christians, they could not wrap their head around walking away from a job with maybe no plan of what's next because that, that just didn't make sense to them. And, um, we just, I mean, we felt really at peace each time, like this is the right step. Yeah. And you know, the problem says like plans fail for lack of counsel, but with an abundance of, um, uh, counselors, they'll succeed. Right. Um, and it's important to have a lot of godly people around you who aren't just relying on their rationale, but truly seek God and God's will. And that has been a big blessing to us as well, a big support system. Yeah. Um, this idea of guarding our hearts and our minds is like a, 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 sent- a sentinel um, guarding a door. Uh, properly to guard, to keep watch, like a military sentinel, um, actively displaying whatever defensive and offensive means are necessary to guard. This is really interesting. So like this actually is is a word that um, Paul used uh, talking about some events that happened right after his conversion. You remember in Acts chapter 9, after after his conversion, he immediately begins preaching the gospel. And what happens? persecution, right? Mm-hmm. They're wanting to kill him within maybe days or weeks. They're, they're wanting to kill Paul. Uh, the Jews are the un- unbelieving Jews rather mm-hmm. not the believing Jews. But, uh, so y- you can read about that in first Corinthians 11 in verse 32 and 33. Um, yeah, that the King was, uh, or the, like the governor of Damascus was guarding the city to, to seize Paul. So he had to be lowered out a window. Um, two verses away, guys. Uh, Philippians 4, 8. So finally, there's his, 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 his second finally. 
brethren, whatever is true, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, um, whatever's of good repute, if there's any excellence and anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. So let's highlight um, these eight characteristics that we're supposed to dwell on. All right, whatever's true. That means uh, what cannot be hidden. It's been attested because it has been tested. Um, it's what accords with facts. So Paul uses this word in Romans 3. I believe it's the first time he uses the word first. I think the first time that he uses the word true. He says, uh, rather, let God be found true, though every man be found a liar as it's written that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. And so when you think about what is true, well, Jesus is the truth, right? In John 14, 6, God is true. Though everyone else is lying, though everyone else is not dependable, God is. There's no darkness in him. Whatever's honorable, uh, semnos, Whatever's like, it's, it's like to derive from a word that means to be in awe or to revere. What is um, weighty, deeply respected because it's viewed as majestic. I can't think about God, mm -hmm. right? Uh, when John, the apostle, sees the uh, transformed Jesus, the glorified Jesus, this is Jesus' best friend on earth. And when he sees the glorified Jesus, what does he do? He hits the ground because he's experiencing the glory of God there. And um, that's the weight that will like bring you to your knees sometimes. I don't know if you've ever experienced something like that when you have like, you're having experience with God and it like brings you to your knees. Um, yeah, honorable. Whatever is right. This is a word that's... Uh, similar to righteous. Um, this is what God approves, what is approved of by God. Think about this, though it's not used in this way. Think about Jesus's baptism, what happens there when God says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, right? Approved by God. Jesus is the ultimate righteous one, which John talks about in 1 John chapter 2. We have an advocate with God. If any of us sins, we have an advocate with God, Jesus Christ, the righteous. All right. The, the ultimate one who is approved by God, which then allows us to be put in right standing with him. Right. Uh, whatever is pure, uh, hagios, this is like holy, um, without spot or blemish, right? Not mixed. It's not mixed. Um, the pure in heart, people that are not mixed, they're, uh, they don't have like the um, crystal light poured in or the Gatorade, you know, um, powder. powder poured into their drink. It's pure water, right? Unmixed. Whatever is lovely, uh, worthy of personal affection, hence dearly prized, worth the effort to have and embrace. You know, Jesus is the ultimate beloved of God. Uh, whatever is of good repute, 
whatsoever well uh, well reported of, spoken of in a kindly spirit, laudable, um, reputable. Um, yeah, again, you know, Jesus being tested, testified to by his father with the transfiguration. This is my son. Listen to him, right? Um, this is my dude. Uh, what's ever excellent, properly, um, uh, virtue, moral excellence, which is displayed to enrich uh, life. Morally excellent. Uh, Jesus says, um, there's no one good but God alone, right? Speaking of himself and his father, um, he is the one who is morally excellent. Whatever's worthy of praise, uh, on fitting, uh, acknowledgement, uh, an enthusiastic acknowledgement for what deserves praise. Um, what's worthy of praise? Think about uh, Jesus entering the city, right? And they're practicing the stuff on uh, on Lamb Selection Day, basically. Uh, well, no. They're, they're practicing stuff on Palm Sunday that should be done on Sukkot um, when they're singing basically Psalm 118 and they're calling Hosanna. This is stuff that would normally be done in the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths or Sukkot. Um, and they're just worshiping God with extreme dancing and celebration. They're worshiping the Messiah. He is worthy of praise. Dwell on these things. Dwell on these things. That means to really take it into account, to, to, to reckon it, to reason it to a logical conclusion. If we're really dwelling on all these things, how all of these uh, words um, found, find their fulfillment in Jesus, really dwelling on that, the peace of God is going to be with us. We're going to feel more whole. We're going to feel more single-minded. We're going to be reminded of our purpose, of God's purpose, um, that he's trying to live through us by the Holy Spirit, um, that we can be striving together for the gospel. That's what really matters because we're a citizen of heaven. We're an adopted son and daughter of the King of Kings, the King of heaven. You know, I mean, this is just, if we're really dwelling on these things, taking these things to their rational, logical conclusions, um, the God of peace will be with us, right? So verse 9 the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen. Practice these things. Mm. The things you've learned, right? Yeah. Uh, this word has as its like derivative in disciple. Um, a learner wanting to actually be like it. So they didn't just learn it. Lessons are not just caught, not so much taught, but caught, right? The things that you've been seeing and, and receiving, uh, kind of very, very similar to that word lumbano. Uh, from John chapter one, the um, he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. But to those who would receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. This idea of like really going after something by force, in a sense, showing strong personal uh, initiative. Uh, the things that you've heard, uh, the voice of God's voice, which prompts us to uh, have faith in him. Uh, Tiffany said, ha, 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 that's okay. We're supposed to dwell on it. Repetition's dwelling in a way. That's right. Absolutely. Um, the things that you've seen to look upon, to experience, perceive. The, think about uh, 1 John chapter 1, when he's like, the things that we've heard, the things we've touched, things that we've seen, mm -hmm. uh, things that we've experienced, right? That's who we're writing about, this word of life, him, right? Um, the things that you've 
learned and received and heard and seen. He wants you to practice these things. Practice these things. Properly, the active process in performing a deed. Don't just think about it and leave it there. Don't be like the ones who are always learning but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. Practice these things. I mean, that's a really good charge for um, for me. I really like learning. It's, it's, it's easier to learn than to practice. But if I'm always learning without practicing, I'm deceiving myself. There has to be that other side where Jesus tells parables like people have eyes, but do they see? They have ears, but do they hear? It's one thing to see, but then to really see, to see and see is to know and do. To hear and hear is to understand and do. All right? If you're not just hearing it, but if you're practicing these things, the God of peace will be with you. All right? Um, so that's where we're going to stop tonight. I, I just want to encourage you to practice those simple things. The things that Paul has talked about, if you're dealing with anxiety about something, actually take the time to go through this stuff. Think about what is true and honorable and right and pure and praiseworthy, all that stuff. Take time and think about it, how that applies to Jesus. they tell you they said there's no way they would go I know just look at me here too 9,000 miles from home don't seek escape I hear them say Like ocean billows, the tears the mothers before hell. I hear the hopeful song of widows, feel my cold heart melt. I think.